Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. So we start this listener mail episode with a comment, I guess called a comment slash correction maybe, about a show we did a while back uh, where we talked about uh, courts being overturned, circuit courts being overturned. Uh, and a listener Matt wrote in on our website, politicsguys.com, uh, Dear Mike and Jay, I just listened to today's podcast and it was delightful as always. That's always nice to hear. Um, Thank you. He but. said, Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. There's always that, right? Um, however, during your conversation on the Ninth Circuit Federal Appeals Court, Jay inaccurately said that the court is the most overturned court. This is the same point Sean Hannity made on his show, or at least tried to. According to PolitiFact, it was actually the sixth court of appeals. Just a heads up, love the podcast and thanks for what you guys do. Let's make America sane again. So Jay, um, and I know you had... Uh, you, you had sort of a, a comment, a reaction to that. So I'll let you start off on that. Well, well we did. And really, it, it, uh, it, it's a good question because I went back because I always want to make sure that my, my facts are correct. Uh, and uh, it, it turns out my facts are correct. Um, but it, it also depends on how you count these things. Uh, if you look in terms of pure numbers of cases accepted for cert uh, and uh, overturned, um, or at least just cases overturned, um, the Ninth District is head and shoulders above any other federal circuit. If you look at uh, proportion, I guess the percentage of overturning of those cases accepted for cert, um, uh, then they are about third, second or third, depending on the year you look at. Uh, and this is something that that varies from year to year, obviously. Um, uh, I think the the most, if you look at percentage, was the D.C. circuit, uh, and then there was also the the Sixth Circuit, um, which is which is my circuit, and I, it's one of those you kind of feel a point of pride uh, that you don't want to be the most overturned. But uh, my my point uh, to that was that if if you if you understand, and I'm going to take an issue with with political fact here, uh, if you understand the way that uh, cases are selected by the Supreme Court. Uh, what this indicates is that the Ninth Circuit is by far most often the, the outlier in terms of whether it lines up with the law of other circuits. Um, you know, the, the cert process is where, one whereby uh, the Supreme Court looks at cases where there is a conflict between one circuit and another. Um, and they work through that process by they, these volumes and volumes of petitions. Um, and, and I would direct everyone to a website that I found, which is, I think, really good, um, scotusblog.com, which gives you all kinds of great uh, statistical information on the court as it stands today and, uh, you know, historically. Um, another good one was uh, it's empiricalscotus.com. Uh, but if you look at these, these numbers, it, it also will explain, you know, the, the, the procedure. Uh, there used to be just a pool of law clerks would read all of these. And it came down to something about 800 uh, 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 petitions per clerk. Um, and uh, they, they would divvy them up. And then there were other judges, justices who have their clerks not participate in the pool, but read them, read every petition. Um, and what they do is they look for, is there a conflict between the petition that's being uh, sent in and some other law that the Supreme Court needs to straighten out? 
And and the, the Ninth Circuit is by and far the 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 one case where the, the most number of cases are accepted from cert, uh, and also the the one which has the most overturns. And now again, I know the, the point you're going to make, Mike, is the Ninth Circuit is also bigger uh, geographically, population wise, um, and and that might account for the numbers. But I don't think that makes that big a difference because it's not as if the 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 Supreme Court, you know, wants to make it fair and all all of the circuits get to get to uh, uh, participate and they'll take so many uh, cert petitions from each circuit. Uh, it, it's a deliberative process where they look at where are the outliers and and uh, what what needs to be harmonized that isn't. Yeah, you know, I, I have some questions for you on that, but before we get to those, I want to thank our first sponsor for today, and that is uh, Brooklyn. Now, I imagine, Jay, you don't spend a whole lot of time talking about or thinking about sheets, right? No, I don't. Oh, no, no, neither do I, actually. But, you know, sheets... It'd be weird if I did. Yeah, it really would. Weird. But, like, you know, there's something you use every single night, unless you're, I don't know, sleeping out under the stars, you're doing some weird, austere self-mortification practice, uh, whatever. But maybe you think sheets don't matter all that much, but I can tell you from personal experience, they really can. I mean, I've tried a lot of different sheets, and I'm almost always disappointed, but... Again, my Brooklyn and sheets, they make great sheets. I've tried them. I love them. And, and, you know, better yet, they're luxury quality sheets without that typical luxury, incredibly marked up price. Jay, you have Brooklyn and sheets too, right? I do. I do. And I like them. I like them a lot. There you go. You know, I, I love my Brooklyn and sheets. And if you try them, I know you'll love them too. And Brooklyn.com has an exclusive offer just for politics guys listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code TPG at Brooklyn.com. In fact, Brooklyn is so confident you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. So there's really no reason not to give these sheets a try. Now, the only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code TPG at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code TPG, Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. So, Jay, the, the question... I guess I had for you, or at least my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is though, you know, you look at these overturning rates and all of them almost were like really high. But I think that the thing to keep in mind, right, is that the vast majority of cases that these circuits decide are not overturned. They're not even. Right. And you could, I mean, you could, if you look at it that way, because I know there was, there was a uh, um, uh, discussion when uh, Chuck Schumer threw out a number uh, saying, well, less than 0.02% of, of the Ninth Circuit cases are reversed. And he's also right there uh, in, in terms of if you look at every, you know, you treat every denial of a cert petition as essentially an, an affirmation of the uh, affirmance of the, the case below. Um, so, yeah, that's that's exactly right. They only they only pick the cases that are sort of on the bubble where there's where there's a, a, a you know, decent reason why you might overturn it. Right. Right. So I think I guess the, the the main takeaway from this is you can you can draw a lot of different conclusions depending on how you in, interpret the the data, essentially, uh, on on overturning. Well, yeah. And but I want to throw in one more thing. And this this is something that that I thought was interesting is uh, why does it matter? Um because again, political facts sort of jumped into this, and and look, I I had it just because it was a little snarky shot at the the Ninth Circuit, um, but the left seems seems to have this thing about saying no, 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 
uh, where Ninth Circuit isn't the most overruled, uh, and, and it's a big deal. And I, and my question is, you know, why? Again, I feel certain loyalty that I, I clerked for the Sixth Circuit, so um, you know, I don't want I don't want anyone to diss in my circuit. Um, but but you know, it's to me, I think it's it's important to to realize that yeah, in in some cases they they are the outlier. Uh, in terms of of the times their rulings disagree with those in in most of the rest of the country um, so so there you go all right well thanks very much for bringing that to our our attention Matt I think it led to a you know I think a, a pretty interesting discussion on that so our next uh, listener mail question. And check out, everybody should check out scotusblog.com. And we will make it's sure. really cool. Yeah, we'll yeah. put that in the, in the show notes, definitely. So next we have Tyler who writes, conservatives seem to have this deep conviction that markets will drive down healthcare costs, but do we actually have any evidence of this? I could maybe see it driving down cost of elective procedures in larger markets, but I can't see it having much effect on emergency care, specialized care, or rural markets. I mean, there's basically no example of a pure free market system anywhere in the world that I'm aware of. Conservatives point to Singapore, but Singapore has government mandates and price controls for drugs and procedures. I really see two problems with this idea that markets will drive down healthcare costs. There's the fact that demand is inelastic. That is, if you have cancer, you're going to pay whatever you possibly can to get treatment, even to the point of bankruptcy, you're going to die. Price pays le- plays less of a factor in your decision to get treatment. Either you get treatment or you die. The other is Baumol's cost disease, which is the rise of salaries and jobs that have experienced no increase of labor productivity in response to rising salaries and other jobs that have experienced the labor productivity growth. In other words, doctors can only see one patient at a time, for instance. I mean, this is a pretty common feature of any job that requires a lot of specialized individual attention like medicine or you know, even in my field, education. So Jay, what do you think? You're, you're our, our, our leading proponent of markets here on the show. Well, what do you think about that? I mean, Tyler seems to express I know, I think, some skepticism. I think Tyler raises a lot of really good questions. And and I'll tell you, I, I don't have any uh, numbers in front of me. Uh, I can work to get those next week though. Um showing that market drops. And I think the, the biggest issue, and, and he, he sort of hints at it, is is in most cases in with medical care, the cost is not paid by the consumer. It's paid by some other intermediary, be it the government, be it insurance, uh, or a combination of both. Um, so there is, a, there is a lack of transparency between the medical provider and the, the ultimate consumer. Um, and while I think you're you're absolutely right on something, there's there's always going to be an inelastic demand. If if you're, you know, whatever, having a heart attack, you're you know going to the, to the hospital. You're not going to, you know, sit sit down and sort of look about which is the uh, the the most cost efficient, um, uh, and and in in life threatening situations. Oh, but but again, that depends. But but say you've got something that is a um, what's let's call it a run of the mill, uh, surgery, you know, whatever, a, a gallbladder operation or something, uh, something that's not an emergency procedure. It's not a life and death procedure. Uh, it's not something that has to be done immediately. In most cases, uh, you, you would have the opportunity to take a look and say, well, what, what hospital, uh, does this the best, the cheapest, um, are there, are there, you know, what, what are my, my options? Um, and I think you, you see that the more individuals have, have control over their, uh, their own, um, medical destinies. And it's not just a matter of, 
well, this is the place where my insurance, where they take my insurance and this is the preferred provider and that's where I go. And the insurance pays what, whatever they pay and they send me the bill and I pay whatever I pay. Um, so I, you know, I'll, I'll look, uh, and see if we can post something on the website with, with actual numbers, because I look, I think he's right on some cases that, that it's tough to tell. The other piece of this is though, when you look at things like, um, uh, typical, you know, for example, a lot of, a lot of healthcare costs, and this is one of the things that the, um, uh, affordable care act was supposed to alleviate was use of emergency services for non-emergency, uh, uh treatments, uh, that there is some cost reduction when you can get people, uh, seeing a, uh, you know, whether it's, it's a nurse practitioner, whether it's a, a doctor in a, a family practice in a, a non-emergency situation, uh, but the the financial incentives were such that uh, if you went to the emergency room, it was covered in full, so you would go there, and it, it's more expensive. You know, no matter what, whether you're having a, a, an actual emergency or not. Um, so I think there are going to be there are market savings there, um, and you know, the, the encouraging people to move to that more uh, health maintenance type situation, and and not need the emergency services. I think that's where you have the biggest, uh, the, the biggest, uh, bump. Um, but no, it's a good question. And I'm going to, I will, uh, look up some numbers and, and we will report back next week. You know, I, I don't know that you're going to be able to find any good numbers, but that's another issue. But I, I do largely agree with you. Uh, transparency in the American healthcare system is atrocious. It's almost non-existent. And, uh, I, I think for certain types of procedures, if we had, real transparency, and if we had uh, a system whereby people could see the real costs of things, that that could potentially make a difference. Our current system isn't set up that way at all. There were some experimental smaller parts of Obamacare that were trying to sort of push things in that direction, but the vast the vast uh, focus of Obamacare wasn't on that at all. I, I really think that in certain ways, it would be incredibly helpful if we could rework our healthcare system to have more of a focus on that sort of thing. But I also agree with Tyler that in certain areas for emergency procedures and other things that that kind of market is never going to function like a traditional market for those reasons. But uh, on this one, Jay, I think you and I are, are fairly in agreement. Yeah. But I also think that that portion, that a portion that's inelastic, is is fairly narrow and it's narrower than than the statistics might might lead the you know uh, lead you to think uh, initially. Um, I, I just thought it for example, say I wanted to get something like uh, I wear contact lenses and, and glasses and I've considered LASIK surgery. Um, I could I could shop around. Uh, I could I could check different doctors. I could look at ratings. I could check prices, and, and really make an informed decision on something like that. And, you know, because that that typically doesn't fall under the insurance uh, category, it, I, I would have that that ability to do that. And and I think that's what's missing uh, in, in making market reforms work. No, I absolutely so. agree. We definitely need more of that for sure. OK, before we get on to our next listener question, we want to thank our second sponsor for today, Bombfell. It's an easier way for men to get better clothes. Now. If you're like me, you hate shopping for clothes, uh, but you know, you don't want to look like you just rolled out of bed when you can venture out in public. Uh, you know, I think it's a pretty common problem, Jay. I can't imagine you're a huge fan of clothes shopping, right? 
No, I, 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 I don't. Uh, at least I'm a fan of clothes. I'm not necessarily a, a fan of clothes shopping. There you go. Okay, I think most guys <laughs> are like that. It's a common problem, and Bombfell's actually, I think, solved it. I mean, here's how it works. You complete a simple questionnaire, and then you are matched the one-to-one with a uh, like a personal stylist, essentially, who emails you their selections. After that, you have 48 hours to look them over and make any changes or even cancel altogether. It's totally your call. Then when you get your clothes, you have seven days to tell Bombfell what you want to keep and you just send the rest back. It's completely flexible too. You can get clothes when you want and pause or cancel at any time. And Bombfell never charges above retail price and they offer free shipping and returns. And if you're skeptical, I get it. I mean, I, I, I was skeptical too, but the clothes my Bombfell stylist picked out for me, they looked and fit great. Uh, I kept everything and it definitely upgraded my wardrobe. I mean, it was by far the easiest and most convenient clothes. You needed a stylist. Well, yeah, yeah, there you go. So, you know, it was, it was easy. It was simple. I I really loved it. I was, I was, I was uh, very pleasantly surprised. It was great. So best of all, Bombfell's giving Politics Guys listeners a special offer, $25 off your first purchase. Now, to take advantage of this, just go to bombfell.com slash TPG. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash TPG. Bombfell, open and close. Okay, uh, moving on to our next question, Jay. <clears throat> Let's see who we All have All right. Here. We have, uh, well, a number of questions, a number of listeners who responded to our recent show on political correctness and identity politics. Uh, We want to thank everyone who took the time to comment. Again, there were a lot of comments. So what we try to do is pick out a few representative listener comments to respond to today. Um, First, we have Dave. Dave writes in part, Hi, guys. I really liked a lot about the episode on political correctness and identity politics and the early release of articles on the subject. Unfortunately, You two fundamentally agree in your criticism of political correctness and identity politics, and I don't think a fair case was made as to what positive purpose they might serve. Your denunciations of what is absurd and unproductive might have been astute, but where was the context? Did political correctness and identity politics occur in a vacuum? Was there ever a positive purpose they sought to serve? Was there once or are there now any legitimate reasons for the origins or continuation of either? Uh, Now, Dave ends up by saying, I guess the conversation I was hoping for was was this. Are there legitimate issues at hand or not? And if so, and political correctness and identity politics are not serving us best to address them, then what would be best? So I thought that was a pretty interesting question. Um, Jay, do you want to start off? Yeah, I would would start off by saying there are probably some out there who, 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 move towards what I, mean, I guess what we'll call call political correctness uh as the idea of of listen everyone ought just to be nice to one another and respect one another um and and not uh say things that would would uh un unreasonably uh cause offense uh which is what we used to just call just plain good manners and uh uh you know being a, a cordial sort of citizen um it's me i mean what what happened though is is once, you know, one side gets the, you know, for let, let's take just the um, uh, uh, racial issues for uh, for an example. Um, if there's one side that gets to say this is racist, and, and I, there was a funny uh, Facebook post meme that someone posted on. It's like top ten things that 
racist people say when they're trying not to sound racist. And, you know, it was, you know, number one was something I'm not racist. <laughs> it was just one of those. If, if you if you if one side can control the language of the debate, if one side gets to decide who's racist and who's not, for example, if you say, listen, I think uh, Confederate statues ought to stay because of uh, because of the history involved, uh, because we ought not to forget, because we just shouldn't tear down public stuff willy nilly. Um, there are some who would be able to say, well, no, your real motivation is is racism uh, and therefore shut up. Uh, that's, that's the problem with, with political correctness. And, and I think there's a, look, it's a problem of, of humanity is, is, is people will gravitate to, to power. And if you can shut up your opponent by doing that, there are people willing to do that. Um, now the, the question of which I think is a really good one is, is what would be a, a better way to do it? Uh, and I, I've said this, I don't know how many times, you know, let's, let's stop focusing on what divides us and focus on, uh, what, uh, what binds us. Yeah. Well, yeah, certainly. I, I don't think anyone can disagree that we should have more of focus. Oh, on no, a lot of people, a lot of people would disagree with that. I think. Well, no, I, I, I don't think that too many got people mail from a lot of people who would disagree with that. So. Oh, I mean, I don't think too many people would disagree with the idea that we would all benefit from a focus on uh, the, the common things that we, we share. Most people I think would, would uh, agree with that, but, you know, but I have some thoughts on this, but before I get to those, uh, uh, let's thank our third and final sponsor for today's show. And that is a uh, longtime sponsor zip recruiter. You know, uh, if you are looking for great talent for your business and who wouldn't be, but you're short on time and you don't want to slog through a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire, you know what you need? You need the right tools. You need smarter tools. And with zip recruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work effectively, uh, notifying quality candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different unlike other hiring sites. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. And you can even get a head start in the interview process with ZipRecruiter by adding screening questions to your job post to help identify the most qualified candidates. And so with all that, it's no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, Politics Guys listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. One more time to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So here are my thoughts, questions on this. You know, I, I do think that uh, there was a time and there still is that, you know, certainly we can look back to not that long ago when racism and sexism was endemic in workplaces, you know, things that, uh, you know, absolutely uh, agree. Yes. You know, and, and I think we've seen a cultural change on a lot of those things, but that's come along with the change in our laws. And, you know, uh, we can, there can be some disagreement as to, you know, how much of this needs to be cultural and how much of this needs to be um, legal changes. But I think especially in terms of, um, uh, in terms of helping to change things for the better, that both changes in culture and changes in law make it not just like not, not okay, sort of from a cultural standpoint, but just simply illegal to do certain things. I think that has been 
positive. And, you know, I think it's a, it's certainly a fine line as to how far is too far. That's, that's difficult to say. And I think reasonable people can disagree with that. And I think that's why we have a political process. It's, it's, I would be concerned if there weren't a debate on this, you know, uh, uh, we need people who are going to kind of push the envelope on this and we need people who are going to push back. This is not uh, an easy issue to fall. I think uh, to, uh, to, to deal with, I think still in this country, I think there is still an awful lot of sexism. I think there's an awful lot of racism uh, and, you know, we're better than we used to be, but I think we have a long way to go. And certainly a lot of conservatives would say that we don't have as long to go as, as far to go as I think. And, and that's, you know, that's why I think it's important to kind of fight this thing out through the political process. Right. But, but do you think that, that the dimin uh, diminishing the amount of sexism, racism that, that, exists, uh, that the best way to do that is, is through sort of the constant hectoring of, of calling everyone who disagrees with you sexist and racist. I, I think that's, that, that, that's, you know, where I, I come down on, on this is that, um, I, I uh, agree with the you. extent that, that, uh, racism, sexism exists, sure you, um, real racism and sexism, it ought to be called out. Uh, but there is sort of a boy who cried wolf, uh, sort of, sort of sense to this when, um, uh, I think, I think it was Jonah Goldberg who once wrote uh, 10 years ago, so with Jesse Jackson, like if his, if his shirts come back from the cleaner, uh, with too much starch, it's Selma all over again. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of, of blaming race or, or sex or gender or something for everything, uh, just inflames, uh, these tensions and drives a wedge, uh, and, and, you know, people do it for political advantage. And that, that's, I guess what I mean when we talk about political correctness and, and that's what I think is kind of productive, but I think we're on the same, same page, mostly on this. Well, I, I believe, I agree with you that, uh, just the claim of racism should not be used to shut down debate, should not be used to shut down an argument. If, you believe that someone is racist, whether it's the students at Middlebury College, you, you know, for instance, saw that, I guess, Charles Murray was, was uh, advancing a racist agenda. Okay. I, I certainly, well, I, yeah, and I, I agree with you, but I certainly support their right to make that claim. And then I would say, but don't stop there. Let's air that claim. Let's discuss it. And let's, you know, let's, let's examine this. So let's not shut down discussion and debate on this. So in that sense, I agree. That's where what, what, what you might want to call political correctness goes too far. If it's used as a way to shut down debate, then I have a huge problem with it. But if it's used to simply, you know, advance debate and to spur debate, then I'm all in favor of it. All right. Now I can go for that. All right. Um, next we have Andrew. Um, who writes, uh, hi guys, I was listening to your most recent episode and in it, Jay says he doesn't support affirmative action. I'm a social liberal. No, who, I don't. Oh, there you go. So, okay. Andrew's right. And Andrew writes, I'm a social liberal who grew up very conservative. So I'm torn between what I was brought up on. Affirmative action is the work of, sa work of Satan. And what my liberal and very hard left friends tell me, affirmative action is the gift from the tiny baby Jesus. <laughs> I'm looking for the sane, rational politics guy's opinion. It seems to me like giving advantages to minorities who have been systematically discriminated against is a good idea. And as of right now, I'm of the personal belief that every black person like myself in America, no matter what, should be allowed to go to college for free as restitution for slavery. And then everyone gets a sliding scale based on where their family falls on the poverty scale. 
I would simply like to pick Jay's brain and why he thinks affirmative action is a bad thing. And if Mike has a rebuttal. I would say it's a, it's a bad thing because I guess the, the, the simplest uh, thing that I've heard is, is Justice Roberts thing. If, if we want to stop counting by race, then if we want to stop discriminating by race, then let's stop discriminating by race. Um, what it does, it elevates someone's skin color, someone's DNA above the rest of, of their person. Um, uh, and, and I think that's, that's wrong. That's, that's un-American. Uh, and it's antithetical uh, to what we we ought to to believe in that that uh, you know what the the what was enshrined in the the Fourteenth Amendment um, uh, that uh, the, the and and the, the Civil Rights Act that um, again and and that what Martin Luther King said that people ought to be judged not by the color of their skin uh, but by the content of their character and I think affirmative action in large part judges people by the color of their skin. Um, you can say that's in different proportions and different kind of programs. And, you know, when college admissions, well, you can't base them on race, but race can be a factor and so forth. Um, so, so that's, that's where I, I, I come down on, on that. And, uh, um, I'm not saying that, uh, affirmative action was not, uh, is, is inappropriate at all times. Um, courts have held, and this is how, how it started when you had, an institution which had a, a, uh, I guess, an actual, you know, practice of, of discrimination, uh, they were called upon to remedy that past practice by uh, taking some affirmative action to fix it. And that's, I think, is, is still appropriate. But that's not really what we see when we say, for example, um, well, the court knocked this out years ago, but, you know, in, in like for government contracting programs. Uh, so much ought to go to minorities. Well, why? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't, uh, the, the best contractor get the job? Um, uh, that's, that's what I think troubles me and it troubles a lot of people. And it, if you look at the Trump voters, it, it troubles them. Uh, and I think if you, you want to understand them, uh, I think that's, that's something to think about that. Um, look, if, if a, uh, so a black student gets, uh, here you get a full ride to college. Um, but the white Appalachian kid, uh, who may have grown up in, uh, even much worse circumstances doesn't, that seems, uh, that seems unfair. Yeah. Well, you know, I think part of the problem, and this is, I guess my rebuttal, uh, which, which Andrew and I should, I want to qualify that. I want to take one more thing. Well, when, if to the extent that that full ride is based on race and, and nothing else. Right, which uh, yeah. which it can't be by law. Um, well, right, but it so that's important. Factor, I think, yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. So I think part of the problem with this with this debate, at least as most people understand it, include I would imagine a lot of the aggrieved Trump voters, is that the there's an, there's a common assumption I think among millions of Americans that affirmative action means racial quotas, um, and that's simply not the case. Uh, the courts have ruled actually against racial quotas, and I, I think that. For, for good reason. Quotas are problematic for you know, all of the reasons that you talked about. But what the court has said is okay, are using a firm, using a person's race uh, or, rep, or sorry, membership in a group that has been systematically disadvantaged, disenfranchised in the past as one factor among many. I look at it as kind of like sort of a, a tiebreaker sort of thing. One thing that you can consider 
You know, um, they said that for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, in part to deal with the effects of past discrimination. And secondly, because institutions can have a legitimate interest in promoting diversity. And so that's the sort of uh, what they call affirmative action that I think is, is, is a very good and positive type of thing. And that's what most affirmative action is. Um, now, as I said, I like, said, like the court, I have problems with quotas, but I also think, and I've talked about this in, you know, in responding to a, a previous question, that I still think we have huge problems with uh, racial discrimination, with gender discrimination, with um, uh, uh, with uh, LGBTQ discrimination in this country. Again, we're a lot better than we used to be, but I think one way out of many ways to deal with that is for institutions, for organizations to have uh, procedures in place that sort of help these groups as sort of a, again, a tie-breaking extra factor to give them a bit of a leg up because of a long, long history of uh, systemic discrimination. What what would you say, though, to, for example, uh, there's a, a suit going on of uh, Asian students trying to get into Harvard who have been rejected? Um, again, that they're, they're a minority. Uh, they have been discriminated against. Uh, and, and in some cases, I mean, you could look at the numbers and we can, we can post the, the links and it's discrimination now. And, and, and to say that, uh, well, we will accept this student, uh, who may not have as high a test scores or as high as grades, uh, because we're factoring in the fact that he's African-American, but we won't accept you, uh, who is, who are also a minority who happen to be Asian, uh, is, isn't that problematic? I, I need to look at the specifics of the case, but my general comment would be, and this is my understanding, could be wrong because I haven't looked at the, the numbers, but I believe that actually in uh, elite Ivy League schools, uh, Asian Asian uh, students are actually overrepresented based on their percentage in the population. I could be wrong about that. So I think that would be a different matter, but right. again, that's, I, that's, I wouldn't want to. Exactly. That's my, that's my point. So I don't see that there would be a, a prima facie case for discrimination than if they're actually overrepresented. But I think it's more when a group is underrepresented. I, again, that's, see, see what I mean, though? It, it's the, well, we don't need, we're not going to take any more Asians because we've got, we've got enough already, thank you. Uh, and what does that say to individuals? Uh, that's, that's the, the, to me, the, 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 big, the big problem of the, uh, look, we don't, we're not going to let you in. Uh, you're overrepresented. Uh, here's another group that is underrepresented. And you say, but, but come on, I've got the grades. I've got the test scores. I'm really smart. I would be a great brain surgeon. Uh, nope, no thanks. Maybe uh, it that's, says, that's the, the problem. Maybe it says, Hey, it's not all about you. Maybe it's about, maybe we, we, as an institution, we have a right to promote certain interests. And you don't have a right to go to Harvard or a right to go to Yale, but we have a right to decide what sort of interests are important for us to promote. And that should have at least some weight in this. I mean, I think you would, you would agree, right? That uh, private organizations have rights to promote their own interests. Sure. So, sure. I mean, I think that might be a rebuttal to that, certainly. Um, no, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't have a right to promote it. I'm saying they're being unwise in doing so. They're being unwise and unfair in doing so. Uh, and, and what do you mean I by unfair? that, that very pronouncement, um, the, 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 we have, we have the right to make this, uh, to, to make this decision. Um, they that, don't? uh, that is what elects Donald Trump. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying when the, the pronouncement of, uh, we're going to decide, uh, we're going to decide what's, what's best. And, uh, the, the idea that, um, 
you know, hey, work, work hard, uh, do the right thing. Um, and uh, while it helps if you're the right race, then I, I think that's a very problematic message to send. And I, and, and I, you know, look, you want to tell the, that student, uh, that Asian student, um, you know, who, who do you think they're going to vote for in uh, uh, I should say, sure. It's, it's problematic from a political standpoint, you're saying, but it's a, you're not talking about the right to do so, but you're acting at the wisdom. Of no, no, it, look, no, so. obviously a private institution has the right to, I, I would, I would, I would argue vehemently, uh, public institutions, University of Texas, that was the lat lawsuit, uh, the University of Michigan, that was the case you referenced where they, the court found diversity, uh, the, the, the desire for diversity can be a, a factor, um, but those are public institutions. Yeah, and I think those are and legitimate that's, public that's goals. A, that's a uh, that's a different problem altogether because I would say they don't have that right yeah. uh, to make those kind of selections. That's where we disagree. I think I think it might in part hinge on how we understand the idea of fairness. Um, you're, it seems to me that you're focusing strictly on fairness to that individual, whereas I'm looking at sort of that. I think that's that's very important. But I also think we need to look at fairness in a broader societal standpoint. And I, I take it you don't necessarily agree with that. Nope. Okay. There we go. <laughs> nope. All right. Uh, um, I, 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 I look at people based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Okay. You want to, you, you, I, I won't even get into, well, let's, let's just move on. Anyway. Um, we have Jeffrey who writes, hi, I've been listening to you guys for the last year, but I'm finding it hard to enjoy your take on issues now. It seems like you guys are both wealthy, entitled white men that lack empathy for minorities. For instance, the podcast about Trump and his Puerto Rico comments, he was being blatantly racist and you guys gave him, gave him a B minus. Are you serious? Listen, I'm not saying you guys are racist, but you need to unpack your white privilege. It's astonishing how naive your comments are. I listened to you suggested Jeff Sessions isn't racist and you guys defend Trump when he literally does racist things. Racism is a concrete thing. Don't act like it doesn't exist. Look up the definition and call it what it is. I can't tell you how frustrating it is to hear wealthy white men be oblivious about race. Just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I couldn't even listen to the NFL portion of the podcast. Not until you unpack your privilege. So there you go, Jay. Um, what do you well, think? Well, I, th I think that kind of goes to my point. Um, okay. Uh, on the political correctness discussion. Um, the idea that, um, uh, people that, that whatever I, I say is necessary or whatever you say, uh, is necessarily a, a product of our, our race, uh, and so forth. Um, I, I've, I've said this a number of times before, look, I get that everyone has different experiences and they come from things from different perspectives. Uh, but if, if we are to accept that our perspective is, is necessarily limited, uh, to our, to our genetics, to our upbringing. Um, and, and despite the, the, as lucrative as you think podcasting might be, we're not, we're not really as wealthy as you might think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think we're, we're never going to understand each other. And, and that's, that's to me is the problem is this dividing people by race. And, and if you disagree with someone saying, well, they're a racist, uh, and look, we won't even talk about that because he's obviously a racist. Uh, that's, that's really what I'm, I've, I've been arguing against when we had the political dis correctness discussion and what I'll continue to argue against. Well, you know, I, I would hope that at least based on my previous comments and even in, in this very episode that one would 
be willing to admit that or, or, or you know, be okay with the idea that at least rhetorically, I, I certainly seem to have empathy for minorities. I mean, and I believe I do, in fact, have empathy for minorities. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not wealthy. I am entitled because I, I, am a, I am a white male in this society, and that means I have certain privileges that come with being a white male, and I am not uh, a subject to the sort of... Uh, uh, you know, systemic uh, discrimination that uh, that women and and, uh, and and minorities are are you know are uh, undergo every single day. I totally agree with that. Uh, but I guess here's where I differ with Jeffrey: is I think it's important to make a distinction between somebody promulgating policies that may have a negative effect on a racial on a certain group that is maybe largely one race and calling that person racist. To me, racism is, uh, well, it's a state of mind and racism. He said, uh, Jeffrey said, look up racism. And it's a belief or doctrine that inherent differences among the various human racial groups determine cultural or individual achievement, uh, usually involving the idea that one's own race is superior and has the right to dominate others or that a particular racial group is inferior to the others. That's just one I kind of pulled up from dictionary.com. Right. That's not you, man. Well, and I don't, I don't know that that's Jeff Sessions. I don't know that that's Donald Trump. And here's my point is that I, I, I want to be very careful about trying to say what's in somebody's heart or what's in their mind. What I want to look at are their policies and how they affect someone. So I'm more than happy to say Donald Trump's policies are a disaster for African-Americans. Jeff Sessions' policies are a disaster for African-Americans, certainly in Jeff Sessions' view. I totally agree that I've, I've been a strenuous, strong, you know, uh, proponent of Jeff Sessions being the worst thing to happen in the Justice Department in, in he's a long, long he time. Was, he, was, he was the guy who prosecuted the Klan, right? Yeah, but I'm not, I don't, we're talking about larger scale things here. He may have, he can, he can hang on that, but I think his policies are just going to be a disaster for African-Americans in the criminal justice system. And I think the criminal justice system is incredibly racist, but that's another, or at least has incredibly negative effects on African-Americans. So, but my point being is that just because that is the case, that does not mean that Jeff Sessions believes that African-Americans are inferior that African-Americans are inherently bad, inherently weak, inherently anything. He may believe that, he may not, but my default assumption is to assume that people do not believe that other races are inferior unless they basically say that. And, and in a way, I think the thing to really focus on here is what are the effects of the policy? Because once we start using terms like racism, I think, number one, we certainly become a lot more divisive because we're telling people we're trying to tell people what is in their hearts, and that may or may not be true. And people tend to take offense if you tell them what's in their hearts. But what we can do, I think, and what's a lot more productive is to say, well, I don't know what's in your heart, how you feel about this race or this gender, but here's what I know about how this policy is affecting people like me. I just think that's a lot more productive way to look at things. And so that's why I focus on that. And that's why I'm not going to call Jeff Sessions a racist or Donald Trump a racist. I mean, I'll call the neo-Nazi guys racist because they've said, hey, you know, whites are superior. And yeah, right, right. <laughs> we should call that out and say, that's awful. And I think Donald Trump was incredibly wrong for not immediately calling that out. Does that mean he himself is a racist? I don't know. But to me, in a way, 
That's not the point. The point is, what are his policies doing to African-Americans, to women, to LGBTQ people? And that's what I want to focus on, because I think that's the most likely way we're going to see some change and not by trying to determine what's in people's hearts. So that's kind of my take on that. That's good. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, and I, I would just... I just refer to there's there's an old joke, Mike, uh, at least in, in my circles of uh, what do you call a Republican who's winning an argument? What do you call Republicans winning an argument? A racist. Um, there you go. But, um, um. but that again, that's that's and again, that just testifies to the, the power of, uh, of of that word to shut down debate, which I think is is what we agree we're, we're both against. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think debate is very important on this. OK, um, let's end with one comment that's not about. Um, our uh, episode on political correctness and uh, all those things. Uh, it's a comment on natural disasters and climate change from Jake, who writes, my questions about politicizing climate change. Scientists have, as usual, been cautious about attributing Hurricane Harvey to climate change. However, if I understand correctly, certain elements of it are certainly related to warming. For example, warmer sea surface temperatures result in more evaporation, while warmer air can absorb more moisture. According to a report from Reuters, when asked about links between Harvey and climate change, EPA spokeswoman Liz Bowman stated that the EPA is not engaging in attempts to politicize an ongoing tragedy. It seems to me that since climate change and the extreme weather events it aggravates affects all of us and is affected by all of us, it is necessarily a political issue. Certainly, almost nobody argues against government involvement in other such things like trade policy, land management, or border control. Why is politicizing such a dirty word when it comes to climate change, and how can scientists and others rebut such accusations? So, Jay, uh, you want to take that first? Or you want me to take that first? Well, I see, I see where Jake's coming from, and I think, I, I think in part, certainly, I agree with him. I think oftentimes the standard rhetorical trick is to say, well, you're politicizing this issue. When, when you think about it, what, what, what does politicizing an issue mean? Well, it means, I, I, some people would say, well, taking an issue and suggesting that the political system should have some involvement in it. And that's one way of looking at it. And I think certainly in that sense, every issue or many issues can and rightfully should be politicized in that way. And so I agree. I think that while, you know, it's difficult to attribute and, and certainly climate scientists wouldn't attribute any individual storm to climate change, climate scientists in general would say that with climate change, we would expect to see more extreme weather events, so forth and so on. And so, yeah, I think it's a way of talking about the issue. Uh, and I guess I, though I would say that I understand that what some people object to is saying, listen, is this idea that we're not focusing on taking care of the people uh, who are affected by the tragedy, but we immediately want to move to the political realm and not focus on the actual human tragedy of this particular event. Um, so, so I, I guess I agree in part, you know, in large part saying, yeah, I think we should talk about, uh, what the human, what the, what the larger costs of things like climate change are. And, and I think that, you know, we, have a reasonable expectation that with more climate change, we are likely to see more extreme events like this. And it would be a good thing 
that if we talked about, you know, that if we did some things about climate change, maybe we would see less of this. At least it's worthy of debate. So, Jay, your thoughts? I, you know, I, I think you're yeah, sort of right, sort of wrong. Um, I would agree that when we're talking about climate policy, uh, uh, emissions policy, those those are necessarily political discussions. Uh, and we ought to have them as, as political discussions. Um, the weather, however, I think is not a political discussion. And, and that's that's what I, I think he, he might be getting at. It's one thing to say that uh, uh, we ought to address uh, uh, climate change. It, it's something else to say, um, uh, vote for me and you'll have less hurricanes. Or, or the idea that, uh, you know, this hurricane was caused, and someone on the left even, you know, we're saying that this is sort of this justice of the earth striking back against Houston, which is the oil and gas producer and um, which, which again, that's, you know, that's pretty scientific. Um, but you know, that, that idea is what I think bugs me about politicizing this is that uh, whatever natural disaster happens uh, that there is some somehow some kind of, kind of hook of, of blaming it on, uh, well, this is, you know, the, you know, you know why that hurricane happened? It's Republicans in Congress, which, which is, is ludicrous. And, and I think, uh, most people see that as ludicrous. Um, but, uh, you know, look, I, I mean, I, I can look at my newsfeed and I saw plenty of, of, uh, of that sort of thing of, you know, right Congress, look, there's a hurricane, right? Congress right, right away. Uh, which, which to me, that sort of undermines the whole scientific argument that people, you know, when people try to say, oh, my global warming is, uh, based on, on science. Um, you know, and also, also Mike, I mean, you, you see this, I mean, politicians are, are people who just take advantage of things, but, uh, you know, again, it's sort of, the, and also the old sort of joke, but I could provide you plenty of examples of, you know, if, if it's too dry, if there's a drought, well, it's global warming. If it rains too much, it's global warming. When we had super freezing cold temperatures, well, that was because of, because of global warming. Um, you know, too many hurricanes, global warming, not enough hurricanes, you know, I mean, it's, it's just sort of when that is always the answer. Um, uh, that's what I think, uh, is improper pol political. Yeah. We tried to, we stumbled over that word improperly politicizing. I, I guess, you know, you ought not to politicize the weather, I think is, is the easiest way for me to, to state that. Well, of course, um, you know, we on the left call it climate change as opposed to global warming. Um, but, but, but anyway, why, why is that? But go ahead. But never mind. Um, but but let me let me just it used kind to be of, global warming. What happened? I think climate change is a little more uh, precise or, or a little more uh, uh, rep correctly representative of a term, actually. Right. But anyway, it's, yeah, it, it can encompass <laughs> it encompasses all all conditions. Well, you know, because there there are a variety of conditions that relate to. But anyway, I, I see your point. Um, all right. You know, and this relates actually to something we talked about on our Saturday show uh, with uh, gun deaths, uh, gun tragedies, mass shootings, and so forth. And and so I agree to a certain extent, but I also, I, I understand the impulse because the frustrating thing is, let's say you have an issue that is a hugely important issue, but that is difficult to focus public attention on, like the massive number of gun suicides every single year in the United States, like the, the, the longer term effects of climate change. So how do you get people to focus? Well, like you said, politicians and interest groups seize on events that are even tangentially connected to use them to try to focus public attention. It is, I think people who honestly look at it would say it is a sort of a bait and switch. The argument for it is it's a bait and switch with a sort of a 
for a noble end sort of thing. So it's kind of a, a noble misleading as opposed to a noble lie, I suppose. And, and, and it, it is frustrating if you believe that action needs to be taken on something that's just really hard to drum up any kind of public concern about. What do you do? Well, you, you would feel you would feel that you were failing in your in your mission to try to you know save millions of lives or you know to improve the quality of people's lives if you didn't take advantage of whatever you could and were even if you had to be a little bit misleading to serve a greater end. So I get that. I, I wish if they didn't, as as the East Anglia email said, uh, I had to hide the decline. Well, yeah, and well, that's a whole. It was other, for a greater good. Well, well, a whole other issue, but but yeah, I understand. I understand the impulse, and again, it's a bipartisan impulse, certainly, to do that sort of thing. And and I wish there were a better way. I wish that people on the left could say, you know, uh, this isn't. We we can't say that this storm is caused by global warming. But listen, let's take this opportunity to think about what made what the connections may be and so forth and have a discussion but that doesn't get people sucked in people want to say oh my god there's a storm it's caused by climate change and we need to do something now because that's just kind of how most people are you know and how do you change human nature in that i don't think you do uh and that's that's the frustration of people who are trying to deal with uh f- with changing policies that aren't immediately evident to people the, the long-term negative effects. And so I, I sympathize, but I also un- I understand what you're saying. I, I'd say also, I mean, every, every media narrative and every political narrative needs to have a villain uh, in order to stick. And I think that, that's just part of our, our conscience. That's what we look for in, in every one of these stories. There's, okay, this happens, this happens, who are the good guys, who's the bad guy? Uh, and in, in things like natural disasters, uh, it is difficult uh, to to point to a bad guy, but but darn it, they're going to find one. And I think there's there's a lot of that that goes on too. Well, I, I think some people are, and this is a problem. You know, I think if people who get a lot of their news from very ideological sources or from their media feeds, they're going to see a lot more of these nuts pop up because, of course, people on the right will will start you know will, will start liking and forwarding this you know look at this ridiculous nut on the left who says that bad weather's caused by republicans in congress and you know i don't see hardly any of that because you know i'm not i'm not tied into that sort of silo of, of information. But, you know, that's a problem with how our media system and how social media and filtering kind of emphasize this sort of thing. And we didn't see that, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So I think it's just made the problem worse. But anyway, here on this show, we try to avoid uh, good guys and bad guys, villains and heroes, and just focus as much as we can on, you know, understanding motivations and incentives and so forth. So I like to think that's what makes us at least a little bit different. So we try. There you go. We try. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, that does it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you like what you heard and that you will check out today's sponsors, Brooklyn and Politics Guys listeners get $20 off and free shipping by using promo code TPG at brooklinen.com. Bombfell, where Politics Guys listeners get $25 off their first purchase by going to bombfell.com slash TPG and ZipRecruiter. Politics Guys listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Politics Guy. Hey, listener support, big help to us. If you'd like to help us out, go to politicsguys.com, click on the Patreon link. If you want to keep the 
show going without doing anything at all. You can just share this episode with friends and followers, pass along our new show, post and tweets or like the show, uh, review the show, rate the show on iTunes. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash politicsguys page and Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Cors- Carson, Jay, geez, I got your, I got your name Jeez, wrong, Jay. Name, Jay Corson, yeah. geez, what, what is that? Jay Carson, Trey Oindorf, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.